Red wave? What red wave? Democracy? Hey, maybe it's still there after all. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are indeed keeping democracy alive. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for the few, the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Well, the election is over. My goodness. Surprises, surprises. And we have once again with us just this. John Kaczynski knows his stuff really, really well. I've been in radio for a long time and one of the frankly more brilliant observers of political realities that I've known. And I've known quite a few, I have to say. So here we are. And John... Thank you so much for being back with us and keeping democracy alive. You have mentioned, and lots of people have mentioned, that the Democrats in uh, in 2022 were very poor at messaging, and I think that's really true. I, you know, a lot of people were like uh, Chicken Little. Oh my goodness, the sky is falling. We're not getting a message out. We're going to lose. We're going to get our butts handed to us. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. There was no red wave. If given that there was such poor messaging, what happened? How did we do so reasonably well? I think Democrats got lucky, and this is a wake-up call in terms of messaging moving forward, that it is about the economy. It is about heart health and pocketbook. And the surprising part of this that was somewhat forecast, but no one had expected that the wave of young people who went right. to vote on Tuesday really decided a lot of these contests. So it came down to, and we'll talk about the polls in a moment, sure. it, came down, it came down to the three Ds, the three Ds on Tuesday. Dobbs, Donald, democracy. Yeah, That's true. what it came down to. Because in our last conversation just a week ago, Bert, we were talking about the fact that it was all about the economy and the abortion issue, which dominated the headlines after right. the Supreme Court reversal of Roe versus Wade. That was really driving Democratic numbers, but that started to go down, and then you saw the lines cross in the polls, and the Republicans take a lead going into last Tuesday. Well, with young people, the Dobbs decision, the reversal of Roe versus Wade, was important, and despite the fact that a number of polls even those with Catholic organizations showed it way, 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 way down. No, it's real, really a driver. And then also, it was the messaging of Trump. And I heard a caller yesterday. This is a woman in Wisconsin who has voted Republican all of her life who said, you know what? Enough. Enough of the Trump and the election in 2020 and the same thing over and over again. She said, I voted for a Democrat. I voted for Governor Evers for the very first time. I didn't vote for Ron Johnson. She said, I had enough. Now, that's only one woman. 
Well, let's amplify her voice because what sure. we're seeing across the country is that voters elected, rejected the election deniers and, you know, the candidates who just kind of had this wild-eyed look and this message, they didn't do well. And voters really split their tickets. They were backing, yeah. look, look at look at state houses, they yeah. backed the least Trumpy, if there's such a word, GOP governors by huge margins. Look what happened with Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, 25 points ahead of the general. Yeah. In Ohio, Mike DeWine ran 18 points ahead of J.D. Vance. And uh, mm. Brian Kemp in Georgia, and that was close, eight points ahead of Herschel Walker. And, of course, that's going into a runoff election on December 6th. Right. So this just wasn't an aberration in a couple of states, but something that was a decided wave since we've been using that word, I don't want to call it a blue wave or a red right. wave, but right. it was a wave perhaps of common sense. Nah. And that's some good news <laughs> perhaps coming out of this. It sure is. I'll mention one other thing in yeah. terms of Trump to um, underscore the point of that caller to a talk radio oh, show right. in Wisconsin who voted, went across uh, party lines, uh, always voting Republican and went Democratic. Rupert Murdoch, of course, who is the owner of the Fox News Channel, which right. has you know carried a lot of water for Republicans over the years. In the New York Post, the headline today mm -hmm. is uh, Trumpity Dumpity, and it's uh, Donald Trump uh, photoshopped on the body of Humpty Dumpty, and he's sitting on a wall. And the front page of the New York Post today says, Don, who couldn't build a wall, had a great fall. Can all the GOP's men put the party back together again? <laughs> now, this is coming the day after yesterday's, day after Election yeah. Day, yesterday's front cover of the New York Post, owned by Rupert Murdoch, saying, Young GOP star DeSantis romps to victory in Florida, the headline, mm. the future, D-E-F-U-T-U-R-E. -E. Ah. And there he is holding his young daughter and his very attractive wife and their two children there. And that's that's quite interesting, isn't it? It's... And, and, and as a matter of fact, uh, this morning on Fox News Channel, uh, Representative Byron Donalds, who's a Republican of Florida, listen to what he had to say. It's an embarrassment of riches in Florida. Let's first say that. Um, I totally, I'm going to tell you right now, the next president of the United States is going to be a Florida resident. That being said, I think President Trump is a leader in the clubhouse right now. you got to go with him until you see something else. Okay, and mm. something else is probably in Tallahassee. Yeah, I'd say so. And, you know, I think th that woman that you spoke about, she she's on to something here. And, and Trump has been on to something, too, about how much it's gone from, you know, elections have gone from looking at, at candidates and their positions on the issues. It's entertainment. And yeah. what I think what she was saying is, oh, this is boring. We've had enough of this. You know, right. never mind issues or anything like that. This whole Trump stuff, it's just like... Oh, it's boring. Let's move on to something else. And uh, that, that, even though Trump was right about that, about you know how entertainment and celebrity and all that stuff, the fact is, uh, you know, it, it in theater politics is theater. You know, you don't want to drag out a, a a plot too long. People get tired of it. So it 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 uh, something d did change. And you talk about young people. I think that's very very interesting. Uh, I'm. I am not a young person. You may be. I don't know. But uh, the the economy. What it, it seems like, even though the Republicans were bashing Democrats on the economy, the economy over and over again. Did, a people didn't know what the heck the Republicans were going to do with the economy, how to make it better, 
and and B, maybe maybe the economy isn't necessarily something that uh, uh, works for uh, attracting Republican voters without you know, since they didn't spell out a solution. Well, as we have this conversation on Thursday morning, December, excuse me, November tenth. The stock market is up 900 points because inflation, while still a problem and still up there, was not as bad as forecast. And so that could slow down the Fed in raising interest rates. Wall Street likes it, and it's up almost 1,000 points, 3% today. So perhaps, underline that word, perhaps we're going in the right direction, Mm. but I don't know. And also, you know, speaking to your point, and Frank Luntz, who is uh, right. a great GOP pollster, said yeah, he that uh, he talked to a lot of people over the last uh, 24 hours uh, since the election, and this is a story that came out yesterday, and he said they've had enough of Donald Trump, enough of the chaos, enough of the yelling, enough of the screaming. Yeah. And uh, they look at the United States Senate, and they're mad at the former president. They think he supported the wrong candidates, and indeed we're seeing that in Pennsylvania and a number of other states as, as well. Yes, Donald Trump's endorsement still matters within the GOP, but they're frustrated because they think he's supporting candidates that are just simply unelectable. Mm-hmm. Now, think about it. Think about it. Just look at what's happening in Georgia right now. Yes. If there was, let's use this term for the sake of the conversation, Bert, a mainstream Republican instead of Herschel Walker, you think we would oh, have true. a runoff on December 6th? And by the way, is anybody, I don't, I've not heard anybody address this. Has anyone explained to Herschel Walker that runoff doesn't mean what he did to his kids? I don't know. <laughs> Still waiting to hear the. Uh, find out if he understands that. I just don't know. That's pretty funny, and I, I, I can't imagine you not being right there. That had there been a mainstream, decent candidate there, uh, yeah, you're right. It wouldn't have been close. It would right because. Uh, yeah, obviously, no shock to anybody. I'm a Democrat. You know, liberal Democrat. But um, the uh, Reverend Warnock, not a great candidate. He just, I don't know. And, and you know, obviously so much of this stuff is how it looks. I mean, right. but he, he just, he's, he's not a great candidate. And how it looks, there's people here in, in New Hampshire. I, Sanu, everybody knew Sununu was going to win big. No question he was going to win big. Why? Not because of anything in particular. It's just, ah, eh, people like him. People yeah. like him. I mean, right. That's all there is to it. But uh, I wonder... Well, how many terms was John Lynch in the State House? Because people mm, liked him. Yeah. He got things done. He listened to people. He was one of the people. Yeah. And that's... I think that, that counts a lot, John, I, that, that being one of the people. And in my opinion, you know, not, not to get too bogged down in, in history, but... It wasn't so much in 2016 that that Hillary lost. I mean, that that, that Trump won, but Hillary lost because he, she did not connect with people. She did no. not connect right. with people. She did, right. and and that's so important. And uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's one thing that uh, Herschel Walker has going for him. I mean, in in Georgia, you know, let's face it, it's a big football state, and maybe people people like him. So what's what's happened to, to the right now? I wonder. I mean, Donald Trump. People are making fun of him now. They're they seem to be coming out from underneath the fear of of getting him angry. Uh, I, I I is it possible? I mean, Democrats and and a lot of people have been wishing to get beyond Donald Trump for a long time. Are we there? 
you know, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. I mean, there are some um, there are some signposts uh, coming out of the midterm elections that suggest that uh, perhaps we're a little tired of uh, what Donald Trump has to say. But here's an interview that aired on Tuesday night on News Nation. Oh, good. Which is a cable network, and uh, and I'll, I'll give you. There's a punchline to this, but uh, you know, here is Donald Trump, and this is classic Donald Trump. If you've supported the former president, but there are also so many warning signs here because you really can't figure out what he's saying. But as many mental health professionals have said over his presidency, that you know he really does suffer from, and I think there's some clinical term for the narcissism that's there. Listen to this. This was Tuesday night on News Nation. You've endorsed more than 330 candidates this election cycle. Uh, tonight, win or lose, the results for Republicans, um, how much of that will be because of Donald Trump? Well, I think if they win, I should get all the credit. And if they lose, I should not be blamed at all. Okay, but it'll probably be just the opposite. Uh, When they win, I think they're going to do very well. I'll probably be given very little credit, even though in many cases I told people to run and they ran and they turned out to be very good candidates. You know, they turned out to be very good candidates. uh, But usually what would happen is when they do well, I won't be given any credit. And if they do badly, they will blame everything on me. So I'm prepared for anything, but we'll defend ourselves. All right. So uh, mm. that's that's classic Donald Trump. Yes. But it you know, just goes to show you. And I remember watching that for the first time. And it's like, oh, no, we heard that for four years. And of course, I think that was manifested in some of the numbers that we saw coming out of Tuesday night. Now, here's the punchline to that. Marky Martin is the reporter. I'll put that word in quotes. And this, no. is someone who, this is someone who comes out of 45 years of television news and understanding how the sausage is made and how this right. works. Um, she is the person who interviewed Mr. Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Here's what you now. Why weren't there any follow-up questions to that answer? Well, her sister, Marky Martin, the person who interviewed Donald Trump, her sister is Margot Martin, who also happens to be the deputy director of communications for Donald Trump. <laughs> So, uh, and now, they, as a news organization, they should have had some disclosure about that. But if you were expecting mm. Marky Martin to ask any hard-hitting questions with her sister's position with Trump, that probably wasn't going to happen and didn't. The, the atmosphere out there, it, it's, it's amazing these days, the, the various unexpected things. What about... There's so many things to talk about here with with the uh, just completed election. The polls, I was looking at the polls like every day, and it was really depressing. It was really frightening for somebody like me. Um, the polls were wrong in 2016. What What is it? Are polls because of A, young people, and B, uh, people uh, you know not having landlines? Are polls no longer relevant? What what the heck do we do if we can't rely on polls? What about the status of polls these days? What does this election indicate? I think it indicates that uh, we should not put that much credence in these polls. Uh, here's what's happening here, because you and I in our last conversation have talked about how news organizations are complicit in a lot of what is or is not going on right now. Uh, reporting on polls is really easy. It's point and shoot. I don't have to think, here here are the numbers, bam, this is a news story. Not really. And so when you take what obviously is faulty information, why is it faulty information? Changing demographics, 
the way you have to get in touch with people, cell phones, uh, the political correctness of if you can't say something nice about someone, and this, uh. this is also just basic human nature in addition to political correctness, don't say anything at all. Right. And also, uh, again, just drawing on my experience from television and having done research and having personally conducted focus groups, you're only as good as the moderator. And you've probably gotten huh. calls, pollsters. I've gotten calls from pollsters. Usually I hang up, but a couple of times I say, well, let me just go through this. And they're from reputable organizations, mm -hmm. people that you know and have heard of and are quoted on major news organizations, from major, uh, major news organizations. They're terrible at asking questions. It's like, oh, my goodness. So, again, the same difficulty that a lot of employers have in finding quality people are happening with the pollsters. So you're only as good as the person at the other end answering the questions. So there's a breakdown of the system in polling, which meets the changing technology and how we get in touch with people today. And so if it's bad going in, it's not too reliable coming out. And then you've got news organizations that are, oh, I don't have to think, I'll just pass right. through these numbers. And you've also got, and we've talked about this, an electorate, and I know I'm using a broad brush that lets television think for themselves when you've got the power to think for yourself and make your own decisions. Now I'll let the TV do that for me. Yeah. So this is the vicious circle that we find ourselves in, and that's why everybody is, you know, clutching chests and grinding teeth when they look at, oh, my goodness, well, how could the yeah. polls be so wrong? Well, there you go. And there's also a message to candidates, and I don't care where you are on the political spectrum. You got to go out and talk to people. You what a concept! What a concept! No yeah. one's ever talked to me. I've had candidates run away from me yeah. when I've asked them pointed <laughs> questions, and these are just for little local races back in the days before COVID, when they would be in front of a supermarket on a Saturday morning, or where they would ring the doorbell and come to your door. And I was just saying, and by the way. You know, they couldn't get away fast enough. It's also a technique I use with relatives at the holidays, so it's good in clearing the house. <laughs> if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive, and what a surprise. It does seem like their democracy is surviving here and there. Anyway, our guest today, uh, once again, John Kaczynski, so happy to have him here, who has been in the uh, news business for a long time, really knows his stuff. And... So if we can't rely on polls, I mean, all my life, you know, you look at polls and you see how the elections are going. Should we just not have polls in the future? How are we going to be able to get a sense of how things are going? I mean, candidates, you know, look at how they spend their money, where they target things based on, on, the, on the polling data. So should we just forget that? I mean, what? Yikes. Are we just into completely uncharted territory here? Well, maybe a little bit, but uh, the polls will always be around, and we'll look at them and take them with a grain of salt. And unless you know the methodology, if you're a candidate and you trust the methodology of your polling organization, uh -huh. and I understand that that costs money, then take it with a grain of salt. But you, again, you just have to be out there and uh, talking to people. Uh, you and I, in our last conversation, were talking about the broken health care system in the United States. And if you and I know many of your listeners are baby boomers who are now taking care of their parents, and so they're seeing firsthand what works and what doesn't work in the health care system. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that any candidate understands that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want a candidate to spend more than 60 minutes with me in an emergency room 
with an elderly parent to see the status of health care in the United States. Pick up a phone and stay on hold for two and a half hours to talk to customer service at an insurance company to argue your point. That's the state of what's going on here. And I think they're just so detached in playing the media game and also wanting to be, hey, you know, politicians are human. We're all people. We're human. Yeah. We have the foibles. We've got the, it's human nature. Uh, you know, you, you want your ego stroked. Of and, uh, you know, these men and women do get their egos stroked all the time. And the more you get that, the more you want that. And the more you're not in touch with with others. So it's just, you know, it's, it's good old-fashioned campaigning. You would think, and, and that's about getting in touch with people. I do think it's fascinating and, quite frankly, incredibly depressing that as you talk about health care, everybody is affected by expensive health insurance not being right. covered, parents, right. and where where were the candidates, Democrats and Republicans? Right. They, they, it's, it's like there's entertaining issues, you know, Donald Trump's hair or whatever. But but what, how could they not talk about this? This is a huge, huge issue, and somehow it it didn't even get addressed in this thing. Don't don't we need better a better healthcare system here in America? What's yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, we need a better everything, uh, you know. And a note to Democrats: Would you can the talk about a Green New Deal? Yeah, I understand about the uh, environment. Yeah, I understand about all of that stuff. But I can barely afford to put gas in my automobile now. You want me to go get an electric car? Nobody cares about that. Right. Nobody cares about that. Pete Buttigieg, please no, do not talk about electric cars anymore. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear about that because that is not on the radar of so many who are. I was in the supermarket this morning, now being someone who lives solely on Social Security, and I'm making mm. decisions on food that I would have normally gotten hmm. that I can't afford today. So, and I didn't go out and get in my Tesla to come home. So don't right. tell me to do that. But first, build an electric grid here in the United States that will avoid blackouts that they're talking about because we don't have enough natural gas and oil. There's so many basic things in terms of the infrastructure. It's great talking about what we're going to do when we win the $2 billion in Powerball, but right. we haven't gone out to buy the ticket yet. So listen, let's just work on some of those grassroots issues that are affecting you and me every single day. I remember talking to and coaching, as a matter of fact, a county executive who wanted to be a talk show host. And he said, you know how you win elections locally? I said, no, how do you do that? He says, you just make sure the roads are paved before election day. And, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, you know, it's all of those basic things. It's like, oh, the roads are paved in my community. This must be a pretty good, this must be a pretty good administration here. Oh, things are going smoothly in my community. Yep. You know, just to have a little empathy for what's going through a lot of your constituents, no matter what side of the aisle they're on, because health care is not red or blue. No. Uh, prices at the supermarket is not red or blue. Right. It's a people issue. It's a heart health and pocketbook issue. So let's, you know, let's, let's put some of this esoteric stuff aside and just really get down into the weeds and look at what is happening here and affecting your constituents, the people who will or will not vote for you. And one of the things that, that you and I have, have, have obviously talked about with regard to reproductive rights, I was of the opinion that, okay, yeah, it was a big deal 
when Dobbs came down and, and Roe was, was uh, overturned, but that the Democrats just, I, they didn't pivot. And yet, and they and I really thought, as did you, that, my goodness, we should be talking about the economy, how the mm-hmm. things we were just talking about here. Right. And yet, it does seem, I, I'm frankly a little bit surprised at how much it seems like abortion mattered a lot in this election. And there were uh, elections where uh, people who, uh, for example, in, in Michigan, uh, uh, there, there was a, a vote there. Uh, defeat by, uh, of, a, of an anti-abortion proposal. Uh, right. And the Kentucky voters uh, rejected, uh, and on, on Tuesday, rejected a ballot measure that would have changed the Constitution to keep abortion illegal. Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I wonder what that says. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised and impressed that uh, it really did uh, seem to move a lot of people. I wonder if it was... There's there's the constituencies of the suburban house, you know, suburban women, and young people. What about the power of young? We mentioned a little bit about young people because they came out in big numbers, really big numbers. But what about suburban women now as we move forward? Uh, suburban women started moving to the Republican column uh, before, thought, yeah. before the midterms, uh-huh. and it was a substantial shift. And I think that again speaks to the fact that. Democrats and, you know, the Biden administration and Joe Biden is a likable guy. But I if you watched him yesterday in his, uh, post, yeah. uh, you know, his post-election day news conference, you know, it was pretty wide ranging. He was not having a good afternoon. It was to use a term that you heard Donald Trump use. It was a low energy Joe Biden. And he's just all over the yeah. place. And uh, there are a number of uh, high profile Democrats. I saw the headline today, I have to do more research on this, who said, who are urging those in the Democratic Party, um, had, uh, Joe Biden not to run in right. 2024. And I think, you know, and anybody with a scintilla of uh, humanity would do the same thing because uh, it's time to retire. And, uh, you know, everybody's got that uh, freshness state in them. And you just know when it's time. <laughs> and it's time. And, uh, you know, does the Democratic Party have a bench eh, as mm. we speak today? I don't think so. But anyway, um, here's the connection on the abortion issue. And uh, and I'm a Catholic and I'm I one understand. who believes that um, that, uh, you know, life is from the moment of conception until natural death. Now, that said, let's connect the dots here uh, with some 70 million Catholic voters here in the United States. And then looking at research within the Catholic Church and the snapshot of the Catholic Church today is uh, nearly two-thirds of people who identify themselves as practicing Catholic do not believe that the body, soul, and divinity of Christ is in that host that they receive in communion every week. They don't believe it. They just believe it's a symbol. That's problem number one. Problem number two, the majority of Catholics here in the United States are pro-choice. So the very basic teaching of the Church moment of conception until natural death is not something they buy, especially with younger people who have certainly walked away from practicing their faith in big numbers. They may not practice their faith, but they vote. And that's why, that's my conjecture of why abortion was so big with the large turnout of young people here in the United States. They were voting the way they live today. Yeah, so it so it seems. And talk about religion. There's been a lot of concern, and and Trump has has made it a heck of a lot worse. Anti-Semitism, 
right. it's it's out there. It's out there for sure, and it's uh, it's pretty scary. But you look at. Uh, I wonder what to make of Pennsylvania Governor Shapiro. There were some anti-Semitic attacks on on the person who got just got elected governor of, of Pennsylvania, I believe it is, and uh, and he won. I, is there was a I think a, a rejection of Trumpism, a rejection of uh, a lot of the ugliness. I wonder about. Any kind of reading about the anti-Semitism uh, and the election of uh, Shapiro? Well, I think also the term Christian in uh, the United States now, and especially the way the term Christian is used by some Republicans, it really is a very nice—it's it's, it's nice uh, wrapping paper around the fact that a lot of the white nationalists mm-hmm. are Christian hate groups. And we know that hate and fear is motivating. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know— and the other rising, I don't know if there's such a word, we'll coin it for the sake of this conversation. Naming an enemy is something that people can identify with. And certainly Donald Trump has done that very, very well and has weaponized a number of Republican candidates, a lot of these election deniers mm. and others who do weaponize the othering, naming mm-hmm. somebody as the enemy. If you're not with me, right. you're the enemy. Right. Um, that that really motivates listeners. I mean, calling Pelosi an animal, uh, you know, making Mm. fun of her after the attack on her husband a few weeks ago. Mm. So, you know, Trump understands what motivates people and just and it's the end to justify the means. And that's that's really dangerous. You were talking about history before. And I went through the files here and I just put this snapshot of certainly 60 years seems like it's an eternity. Certainly it is in politics. But it's a couple of generations, maybe three generations, here in the United States. I want to play for you something that I found of JFK. This is an interview with JFK on April 3rd, 1957. So he's Senator Kennedy, okay? Mm -hmm. So I want you to listen to that first, and then we'll fast forward the clock here and take a look at where we've been just in the last 12 or 13 years. So here's JFK in 1957, talking about what it means to be a citizen of the United States. This is a, this is a uh, serious time in the uh, life of our country, perhaps the most serious. And we're in a great struggle for survival with the Soviet Union, and we have many great problems here at home. But uh, I think that if all of us recognize that we have uh, responsibilities as well as rights and duties as well as privileges, especially in a country like the United States where we, all of us, uh, have the final responsibility for whatever action we take, we recognize that we've been uh, uh, given a great country and that we've been most fortunate and that if all of us practice the virtues of uh, good citizenship and self-restraint, which uh, I think we can do and which we have done through our history, then I think we can look forward to the future, all of us, young and old, uh, office holders and citizens, uh, with a good deal of confidence and hope. JFK on April 3rd, 1957, the definition of the United States of America, Bert, I will argue, has not changed one iota. For sure. That, that's the beauty of this country that we all live in, and yet we tear it down. And a lot of the problems that he was talking about, certainly our Cold War at that time with the Soviet right. Union, is, is certainly happening again today. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Here is something that I put together for the radio. Right after the 2008 election, Barack Obama and John McCain. So this is a little promo that ran after the election, but it's got excerpts 
of both men's speeches, the concession speech from John McCain and what Barack Obama said on that rainy night out there in the park in Chicago. This is an historic election. General Obama has achieved a great thing. Yeah, this is the finest moment. And all the people there. Change the scum to America. Was a joy to my heart. We never hide from history. We make history. Do you feel me? This is your victory. That was only in November of 2008. That was only, that was only in 2008. So look at the, certainly the message of hope yes. uh, that Barack Obama um, was, it was a real foundation of his campaign and, you know, certainly propelled him yeah. into the White House as well, but also the class of uh, John McCain. Absolutely. And, um, you know, understanding what it means to be an American who serves. Now, I superimposed that over what certainly made news using his own words just a handful of years later. This is 2016. This is eight years. This is eight years later. Listen to this. Oh, when Mexico sends its people... They're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. So if you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the crap out of them, would you? Seriously. Okay? Just knock the hell. I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees. I promise. I love the old days. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. I'd like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. Now, if you were in a room with those four people, yeah. who would you gravitate <laughs> to? Just as the, you know, it, it, it's funny, but it's also sad. And it's like, well, wait a minute. How do we deteriorate into that in only a matter of eight years? It is... Quite remarkable, looking at history, you know, the 20th century history, uh, still what happened, you know, in 1930s Germany, obviously, but how hate and fear, the power of hate and fear. And when you played, uh, you know, John Kennedy and Obama and McCain, they are two classy people, really. And why is it, what is it about, there's something about advertising or selling something that, that, you know, you want to grab people's attention, and certainly Trump did that. I, and he must have, in 2016, kept the TV networks happy because advertisers knew that people were looking at their TV screens. And there's something about uh, being that nasty stuff and that, that just attracts people. And, you know, what is it? Uh, I believe it was Abraham Lincoln talked about the, the better, better angels of our nature. You right. know, that's like it's not attractive or something. It's... I, how we get there, I don't know. I mean, and now after the election, we, I think Democrats should should recognize and look at history and realize, hey, every time there's an off-year election, the party in power gets hammered. And we didn't get hammered this time. We did not get hammered this time. I mean, we lost a few things, but it's not like it was really bad, but that, uh, you know, maybe we can allow ourselves 
to feel good about who we are, <laughs> you know, and have some some classy people. I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not there yet. But boy, the ugliest sure ugliness sure sells papers, as it were. Uh, for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. We're talking uh, on uh, keeping democracy alive with uh, John Kaczynski, expert on. Uh, politics and elections and and what's going on what the reality is how how did democracy do it seems like democracy did okay and i find it fascinating that amongst the the fear that was sold to us was fear that uh, there was going to be you know these these nasty people at the polls who were going to be wearing camouflage outfits and be carrying ar15 style weapons and and scare people away from voting i it sounds like that didn't happen it happened in some places, but not with AR-15 weapons, but right. people who were in fatigues. And they were removed very rapidly, uh-huh. uh, very rapidly by election officials. And this is in places, in, in very key swing states. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we still, as we have this conversation on Thursday, November 10th, await the results coming right. from Nevada and in Arizona. And why does Arizona take so long is because Arizona for years, years before this was even an issue, and it's not an issue, has had mail-in voting for years. Underline that word, capitalize it, put it in bold, italicize, for years. And so it simply takes time. And right now, with uh, a a very slim lead, Mm. uh, and uh, and the governorship there is very, 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 very close with uh, Carrie Lake only, I think. I think maybe two or three thousand votes behind, but it's a very narrow margin margin right now. The majority of those mail-in ballots, which at times can favor Republicans in Maricopa County, which is uh, Phoenix yeah. and also Tucson, the two population areas, that's why it's taking some time. So you know, it may be the end of this week. There's nothing nefarious about what has been going on right. for years, and you know, we look at something that it's like, well, wait a minute. I don't. We want everything to be like the drive-through. It's like, well, wait a minute. I I vote. I voted at eleven this morning. How come there's not a winner at eleven oh five? Come on. Oh, this must be tainted. Oh, it must be fixed. Ah, uh, right. It just simply takes time because there are ways to do that. And for all of those candidates who say, you know what we need, we got to go to paper ballots, and people who call talk shows say we need to go paper. Every ballot is paper. You fill out a paper ballot. It goes through a scanner. Yeah. But it's a paper ballot. <laughs> that hasn't changed. No, it hasn't changed. And uh, patience is not something that uh, people are all that familiar with. I, I, trust me, uh, certain diseases, it'd be nice to be you know, like, yeah, I'm cured right away. But it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. But I wonder about trying to dig into some of the, the numbers here. Uh, it, it does seem likely that the Republicans will win the House, but not anywhere near by the numbers uh, that, that were expected. And uh, Kevin McCarthy has, you know, been had no secret about, you know, wanting to be Speaker and taking over from Nancy Pelosi. It seems like they're going to have a smaller majority now. What, what's, what's your sense of that, John, and how, how that will work in terms of, dare I say, governing? Well, they're all, there's already a, a little civil war that's happening uh-huh. in the Republican Party who, uh, with uh, you know members of the Republican Party saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Kevin McCarthy, wait a minute. Do you want to be Speaker? Uh-huh. No, 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 not so fast. And this is happening within Republican ranks. Yes. 
uh, right now. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, there. But again, it goes back to the fact that, uh, you know, if I could use another uh, another game show title since yep. Donald Trump essentially, you know, his notoriety has been on a number of levels, but he was a game show host. Right. You know, the that pro- program he had on NBC, which had, you know, great success early on, uh, was game show. And uh, so I suppose, and this is coming right from the Wall Street Journal. This is not me. This is another Rupert Murdoch publication. Mm. The editorial in the Wall Street Journal, Trump is the Republican Party's biggest loser. Yes. He's now flopped in 2018, 2020, 2021, and 2022. And again, it just goes to putting out candidates uh, who were, there were people who could have won elections. But the Trump Republican candidates failed at the ballot box in states that were clearly winnable. So there's a message there for the Republican Party is, wait a minute, let's put out candidates who are clearly winnable. And there's a message to the Democratic Party, don't sit on your hands. Learn not a message. It's all about the economy. Leave your electric cars in the garage. Come and spend a day with me in the supermarket. Hello. Uh, You know, return to really the roots of what made the Democratic Party great here in the United States. And it's interesting on Truth Social, which is Donald Trump's social media platform, nowhere near the the reach of a Twitter. He uh, tweeted out, now that the election in Florida is over and everything went quite well, shouldn't it be said that in 2020 I got 1.1 million more votes in Florida than Ron D. got this year? 5.7 5.7 million to 4.6 million, just asking. So, uh, you know, again, there are these tweets coming out in the middle of the night where, you know, other Republicans now are the enemy of the people. And you just, you know, again, you have to wonder, you know, if Donald Trump were sitting here, you and I would just say, hey, enough. If this was our, if this was our no. kid, we would send them to the, we would ground them for a week <laughs> saying, now stop with this stupidity. Oh my goodness. And, and voters are smarter than this. Uh, you know, people are, we've talked about this, about empowering people. You know, the voters of America are, they're people like you and me, you and I, wherever you're hearing this, we're all in this together. We want a better place. We want to make more money. We want to be more comfortable. We want to have a little more confidence with who's there. And do I really want any, and you know, they all make a lot of money. A lot of them are all millionaires and billionaires. They've all gone into office. Uh, with more money than you and I probably will ever see in our lifetimes. Do we really want millionaires and billionaires telling us how we should feel? You can stand Mm. up for yourself. You're smarter than this. Stand up and do what's right for your family. That's really the first, the first filter before you should go into the voting booth. And that's, you know, what's the common good of my family, the the common common good good of my community, my state, and that, not trickles down, as uh, we've heard in terms of economics, but trickles up to make a better United States. Yes. And the idea of of democracy is based on what you were just saying, that, you know, we are in it together and that we, the people, can participate in self-government. Whereas it's been so much easier for the the Trumpists to just to, you know, they know that uh, fear and hate does motivate people it connects it's it's something that that grabs the attention but i don't know maybe maybe the so it's been hard for a lot of people for a long time to have right. that faith in the better angels of our nature but maybe that's starting to come out one of the specific things i i need to ask about is the election deniers as you know i mean these 
odd people, I don't know what how to call it, who deny that uh, elections work, that, that, they, that it did happen in 2020, that it was fair. They, I, I wonder what happened to them on Tuesday, because there's, I mean, secretaries of state, really important stuff. There were right. a lot of people running uh, for secretary of state, and... and uh, they did not win. Well, tell tell us about that. They, they they didn't win, and various governors can appoint secretaries of state who can uh, undo elections and and right, right. Secretaries of state generally certify elections yes. uh, as as do governors, and and we've heard Carrie Lake, who is the Republican mm-hmm. candidate for governor in um, Arizona, and a number of other of those Republican candidates who are running for governor, saying, if I become governor, I will determine the outcome of an election. I will override the right. popular vote if I don't like the way the popular vote turned out and right. it is not a candidate who is aligned with me. And that's that obviously I don't have to talk about the obvious danger in that, but uh, you know, it also eludes me how, you know, really anyone with if you've just had basic civics, even through high school, you gotta figure out, wait a minute, this isn't right. Um, so a lot of those people just did not get in, but we also have to be smart and sober here. And Susan Glasser in the New Yorker was talking Mm. about this as well, because, you know, even though it wasn't a red wave, a one vote margin in the house still gives subpoena power to Jim Jordan as the chair of the house judiciary committee. Oh my! So yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a wave, but one vote is still a win. And I'm sure you'll, you will see as they've talked about so many times before, they will see um, they want to indict uh, Dr. Fauci and his family. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly the Hunter Biden thing, Hunter Biden, oh, private please. citizen. And yes, we understand the connection to the sitting president of the United States. Um, so, you know, any number of those uh, tax your money. So your money, if you've written a check and you will write a check. Yeah, uh, come next uh, spring to Uncle Sam to pay your taxes. So that money is going to investigate Dr. Fauci sure. and COVID that happened three or four years ago. So just know that that's how your money's being spent. And you know, again, we have to just step back and just say, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you know that narrow Republican majority in the House can further empower some of what we've seen, wow. and uh, you know, also make if it's if it is. Kevin McCarthy is the Speaker of the House. He then becomes beholden to some of those uh, extremists. Uh-huh. So you got so you know connect the dots here. And I will also give a shiny new dime to any reporter <laughs> who has yet to ask Jim Jordan the question. Wait a minute, you're the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, and all of those years when you were a wrestling coach at Ohio State, you did not know that your that your wrestlers were being sexually abused. Now, how do you not know that? Are you smart enough to hold this job? I, it, sometimes it does amaze me, and I think you too, how these things get specifically overlooked. They don't want to see it, and I don't. You're right. The media, what the heck? They're not asking about that. I mean, that Jim Jordan stuff is just so obvious and so out there, and yet. I, somehow people don't seem to care. The uh, I, I, it just, it, it, it does amaze me. And there are some interesting candidates, shall we say? Uh, and as as we speak, a lot of races are not yet decided. Right. One of the right. wackier, dare I say, people is Lauren Boebert, who at this point, according to what I saw this morning, is losing by about fifty votes. Fifty. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
What, yeah. What, what, tell, it, tell us about Laura. That's in Colorado, I believe. That's in Colorado, yeah. It's 60 votes, 60 and you know, and that number just keeps changing. So, uh, you know, this is something that we – that's one of those races where we probably won't know the outcome until the weekend or maybe before. And um, so, wow. you know, there it is. But, uh, you know, that just goes to show you um, how – you know, the old cliche, and it's more than a cliche, it's a statement of fact that every vote does count, yes, but also yes. it shows that, again, with, with better Republican candidates, you and I would not have this conversation right now. And even Jason Miller, who was a very visible figure in uh, Trump's universe in uh, all through his years in the White House, is advising him to move his announcement until after the Georgia runoff. Yeah. And because he was supposed to make an announcement, I think, next Tuesday with with great fanfare. And by the way, that music in the background came from the soundtrack of The Godfather. So, you know, there's Whoa. <laughs> I don't know if anybody realized <laughs> that, but there's just some of the just the irony of that. So, you know, we'll see because, you know, we know Trump is, you know, 100 percent behind Herschel Walker. And they want to get beyond December 6th because it is just, you know, so close. So close. I think it's a couple of thousand votes right now. So it's so close. Yeah, that Herschel Walker thing. It just it it does. How did that happen? I'm trying to figure out. Here's her. Listen to Herschel. <laughs> now let me just draw these connections here. Yes, because I, you know, and 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 we've heard from other Republicans who said, and listen, I'm sure the the mindset of the Democrats is the same thing. It's power. It's about power, staying in power, doing right. all I want to do. It's power. So it's power, power, right. power, power, power. Whatever side of the aisle you're on, no we question. understand that. Yes. And uh, and Republicans said, hey, Herschel Walker, come on, have you heard? And they said, look, it's all about power. Um, here's Herschel just uh, just yesterday. Now, I know they're going to throw more at me, even the kitchen sink, but I can catch it. I'm going to catch it and keep moving forward. I'm going to fight, and I think people have seen me fight, and uh, they're trying to buy this seat. They're going to do everything they can to buy this seat. Okay, um, you know, that's I, – I think Herschel Walker – um, you know, certainly a very talented athlete. I can't catch a ball to save my life, but a very ta- a man who's just he's got natural gifts from God. But for certain things, do you right? Do you uh, do you think that? And we have to go back to the '60s again because maybe you had this growing up, or your grandkids had it. A chatty Kathy doll. Remember, you pulled the string because it had pre-programmed answers in there. Here's the commercial. I'm hungry. What you do? Get a new doll. Oh, no. Patty Cassie asked first. Sure, because the dog can talk or something. Please brush my hair. Well, I told you she could talk. I just pulled this ring, and she says 11 different things. We could say that again. Maybe she will. Part of the fun is, you never know what Patty Cassie will say next. Will you play with me? So I think that's Herschel Walker. <laughs> Herschel Walker's got pre-programmed sentences in there, for example. the funniest. You never know what Patty will say next. I know that uh, a vote for Herschel Walker is a vote that the Georgia people's voices could be heard in Washington, D.C. Not only the people in Georgia, but America's voices could, could be heard. Because a vote for Senator Warnock is going to have uh, Kamala Harris making the decision for them. And I'm not going to let that happen. All right, let's pull the string. Part of the fun is, you never know what Patty Cassie will say next. Right now, we're in a tiebreaker. And that's why I said I'm not giving this seat up, because right now the Georgia people are hurting because of this inflation. The Georgia people are hurting because of crime on the street. Kids right now got men and women's sports. 
Somehow, I think if you and I just got on a plane to Hartsfield International today and just went down to Peachtree Street and just said, excuse me, uh, you know, men and women's sports, women and men's sports, is that making a profound difference in the quality of yeah, life really. that you have today in Georgia? How many voters do you think will say, yep, that's number one? <laughs> but these are all pre-programmed lines in there. Again, a gifted athlete, but, uh, you know, this... Again, it just goes to show you how kind of broken our system is and how we need to uh, really kind of study some of those old uh, JFK videos to realize how far we have come from reality, where the message of a JFK in 1957 is really at the very root of, I think, where most voters are. And even though we're having some fun with some of these candidates, uh, you know, where where your listeners are, we want the best for New Hampshire. We want the yes. best for everybody. And that's, we that's, what, we're, that's what we're striving for. And there are those who, who, instead of uniting us, want to want to divide us. And there, you know, we talked about how suburban women, young people, are sort of you know more powerful voting blocks. Interesting was I don't I'm curious about Hispanic voters. What's happening with that? I, I you know I think Democrats used to try to take Hispanics for uh, for granted, but boy, I don't think so anymore. And but welcoming people. You know, say instead of saying the others, you know, we're being invaded. I mean, we've been, you know, fear of immigrants has been with us for a long, and hatred of immigrants has been for, with us for a long, long time. And and Hispanics, you know, it's a growing part of the population of this country. Can we just welcome people here? I mean, my, I can't, my, you know, I, I'm from immigrants as well. And and again, that's that's the better part of our nature. And I guess that's one of the things that we're looking at in this recent election is maybe maybe some of that is actually coming out and that, you know, we're not sowing racial divisions and, and, and playing on fears of people that uh, maybe maybe the, that uh, democracy did. OK, what what do you I mean, the name of the show, obviously, and I chose it before Trump got elected in 2016. Who knew? How did democracy do, John, do you think, as we go forward? How, what, what, is democracy in better shape now than it was before? I kind of it may be in better shape than it was uh, going into Tuesday, but there's a lot of work to yeah. be done. Uh, you know, it's just I, I just think of as someone who wakes up in the middle of the night and watches too many Law & Order reruns to the point where it's like, <laughs> oh, I've seen this one before. Think about that with how many Law & Orders are out there where, you know, they always come against the body and they say, she still has a pulse. Call a bus. And I think that's where democracy is. She still has a pulse, but we need to call a bus. We need to call an ambulance. And that ambulance has to be driven by more responsible candidates. And yes. that responsibility lies with you and me to get involved. And that's really part. That's part of the fun of democracy is that you and I can get involved. And I know that means work. And I know that means getting out of our comfort zones. And I'm yes. looking in the mirror when I say this. But uh, how, you know, you can make a difference. Maybe it's a neighborhood watch, your own community, whatever it is, you can make that difference. And that's the power that every American has yes. right now. And that's so good. And also to think about the fact that we used to listen to understand. Mm. And now we listen to respond. Right? Mm. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, even when, when you have Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks, when somebody says something around the table, you can almost see the tumblers going inside saying, okay, how am I going to respond to this? And you miss what the other person is saying. Right. So maybe if we just listen a little more, so we're understood as opposed to yeah. wanting to respond, 
That's how democracy gets better. It starts with me in my dining room and my kitchen. And we absolutely can make a difference. And for those who have participated in politics, it's actually fun. Once you get a little taste for it, it's kind of fun. It's sort of addictive. We can make a difference. And I couldn't agree more about listening, is that people want to be respected in a democracy. They don't want to be... We're not subjects of the king. We are citizens who right. can participate in this, and it actually can work. So we will see as it goes, and chances are the, the House will go at least slightly Republican. We still don't right. know about about right. the uh, the U.S. Senate yet. But, we'll see. Uh, and there's not going to be any civil war. Let's not no. repeat. You know, anyway, I sold my musket in the consignment shop last Tuesday, so, <laughs> so I'm no good when it comes to that. So don't look to me for any help. Yeah, I I don't think. Yeah, I think we're in, we're in a lot let's better. Let's stop repeating what we see on on television and stuff. Let's, let's let's just listen to each other. Listen to each other. Respect each other. Uh, not a bad day in American history. And no. uh, as as one of my guests a long time ago said, it's important to think with history. We don't do that nearly often enough. So there was no red wave. Democracy uh, survived pretty much. I mean, it got, you know, there's gerrymandering in Florida where they just kind of wiped out any participation there. But uh, democracy is still alive. Stop. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and as we do this, just one more quick happy birthday, Please. number 247, United States Marine Corps. Uh-huh. 247 years old. All right. Well, we've done it. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks to the Marines, too, for uh, the work they've done over the years, Lord knows. And there's so many different ways to participate in making our country stronger. We can do it. John Kaczynski, thank you so much. And uh, we will talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Bert. You make me think. I appreciate it. Yes.